This series is brought to you by Saks Off Fifth. Shop spring wardrobe essentials from investment pieces to vacation-ready looks for up to 70% off. We'll explain more in a bit, but first, let's get into the episode. Don't give up hope. There are good doctors and physicians and providers out there. Don't give up on the healthcare system because there are those of us in it that are working really, really hard to change it. And there are physicians that look like you, feel like you, and care about your life, even if they don't look like you. And so it's just a matter of like staying the course and not giving up. If there's something you don't like, speak up about it and make sure that your doctor is a good fit for you because we do care. Welcome back to our third episode of Skim This, The State of Women, our mini series offering a look into the realities that millennial women in the U.S. face today. I'm exhausted. Exhausted? Overworked and overdone. It's too much. We despair the state of the world. I hate this job. It's not working. My life is a dumpster fire. It's really hard being a mother. Being a wife. Second-class citizens. I'm so tired. Last week, we told you about how women are securing their financial futures despite a pretty uncertain economic environment. And today, we're talking all about women and their health and how they're advocating for themselves, despite a system that's failing them. I'm your host, Alex Carr. Let's get into it. Throughout this series, we've been digging into the data we got from our joint survey with the Harris Poll, where we asked 4,500 women about how they're doing in all of the aspects of their life. And when I was going through the results, the section on women and their health really struck me. Not because women are doing amazing in every other area, but because women's well-being is so clearly in crisis. In fact, very few women told us they were in good health across all of the dimensions of wellness. Only 33% of those asked said they had good mental health, while only 38% reported good physical health. And we can attribute those low numbers to the fact that the current healthcare system is failing women. Doctors misdiagnosing, dismissing, even gaslighting their female patients. I heard everything from, you're just tired, to um, one doctor actually said, well, I think it's just because you have your period. I was told that I was, I was overweight, I needed to lose weight, that I was uh, depressed. I actually had one of the doctors say that for a nurse, I seem to have a really difficult time explaining my symptoms. And I was so insulted. 67% of women told us they've avoided seeking care because of cost. 63% said they've received disappointing or inadequate care. And nearly 60% said they've sought treatment from doctors who don't believe them or ignored them. And according to a study from the Healthcare Foundation, the Commonwealth Fund, compared to women in Europe, Australia, and Canada, women in the U.S. have the least positive experiences with the healthcare system. The report found we have, quote, the greatest burden of chronic illness, the highest rates of skipping needed healthcare because of cost, and were the least satisfied with care. And there's one stark statistic that really illuminates this crisis, the U.S. maternal mortality rate, which is more than three times the rate in most other high-income countries. And the rate for Black women in the U.S. is multiples higher than that. So when women are underserved by the healthcare system, the consequences can be life or death. 
But what we also learned from our survey is that women are reimagining their lives around their well-being, which includes leaving some relationships and jobs behind. They told us they're looking for new lifestyles that prioritize their health and well-being, and they're actively seeking new ways to accept and appreciate their bodies. And most notably, they're learning to be their own advocates to navigate a broken system. And that's what we want to dig into today, exactly what it means to advocate for yourself and your health. So we've brought in an expert to help. Meet Latasha Salaby Perkins, a family physician and an assistant professor of medicine at Georgetown University School of Medicine. All right, let's give her a call. I first want to ask you about your experience as an assistant professor of medicine. Our audience has come to us and said they've seen the healthcare system really disparage women and women of color. And based on your professional experience, like how have you seen that in the industry? I've seen it in on the educational side, right? As my just my lived experience, I decided to become an assistant professor and go into medical education because I wasn't seeing myself. There weren't lecturers, there weren't teachers, there weren't what we call them the medicine preceptors in the clinic that looks like me. And so I wanted to change that narrative because oftentimes I was getting some feedback even in the clinical realm that, oh, she's not a team player, she's aggressive, but really I have the same leadership qualities that my male counterparts have. Just a matter of like who I am versus what I'm actually doing. And so I decided to go into medical education for that very reason, because I understand what that felt like and wanted to be able to change that narrative a bit. I've also seen it, you know, play out in the medical space. And as you know, I see patients as well. And so because I know what it feels like to be a patient, to be a woman of color, to be a Black woman in the medical space, also hearing all the noise around, you know, Black maternal morbidity and mortality, and now even just reproductive rights. As women, you walk in with like a level, like either fear or anger going in. And so as someone who is caring for someone that looks like me, and I understand uh, you know, female presenting person's pay- story, I know how to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping by being in medical education, I can even train people who aren't women, right? Who aren't underrepresented minorities to care about that narrative just as much as I care about it. Is there like a particular statistic, data point, story that comes to mind when you think about the disparity in the healthcare system? Like something that helps illuminate the scope of this issue. I mentioned Black maternal morbidity and mortality around like Black women getting pregnant. Like that stays at the top of my mind because I am the mother of a four-year-old. I do hope to have another child that Black women are four times more likely to die in childbirth than their white counterparts. That still bothers me. You know, it shouldn't, death shouldn't be up front of mind when you're thinking of bringing a new life into the world. And so that fuels me because, you know, reproductive rights, my fertility, my thoughts as a woman, I want that experience to be equal, safe, and honored for all women. And so I, I often think of that statistic, even on a day-to-day basis, believe it or not, especially when I'm in the clinic. Mm. And I'm just so interested in this duality that you live where you are a patient and you're also a practitioner and you're an educator. Knowing that all this information is out there around how the healthcare system is not built to support everyone equally, like what keeps you going? How do you marry the fact that you're in this industry with the fact that this industry is kind of up or it has been? 
It's interesting that you say that. Um, I recently just went to a meeting this week, the National Minority Quality Forum. It's a board that I'm one, is, and I've gotten one of their awards in health um, care disparities in the past. Going to meetings like that and getting educated on like the changes that have been made, both on the local level, the federal level, in business and corporate, but also in in the systems in general, and meeting with like-minded people who all want these disparities to go away already. Like mm-hmm. it's been moving at glacial speed, but when you go there and you go around, get around people who care the same way and get recharged. In some ways, we're preaching to the choir, but every time there's a new iteration of like young folks that care about it as well, that recharges me. Being an educator recharges me because I get to train the next group of practitioners who will be taking care of me and taking care of my kids. And so that recharges me and where the intersectionality of being a patient and educator and um, a practitioner that isn't by like happenstance that was on purpose mm. I wanted my mission in life and my purpose in life to change that narrative to change that thing because it is it's horrible medicine is just so jacked and historically what it's done to you know black and brown bodies and women's bodies like why would you want to be a part of that I want to be a part of that because I want to be a part of the solution. I don't want to just be over here complaining. I want to actually work to move the needle every day with every patient I meet, with every student that I mentor. I want to be a part of that change so that my legacy, which my my true legacy is my my kid, can say that the world is a bit better because of the work my mom did. And I want to be the same kind of human being that changes something in a meaningful way. We're so kind of grateful people like you are out there trying to address these issues because it can feel, I think, really lonely for a lot of women who are navigating the healthcare system when it doesn't feel like it's built to support them or it exists to support them. Do you get concerned that because people are aware or have experienced bias in the system, that that actually prevents women and women of color from seeking the care they need? Like, is that one of the biggest issues here? It stresses me out. I lose sleep over it sometimes. I'll have conversations. Like I'm the oldest of seven in a blended family. I have four sisters. And one of them does not believe in like the healthcare system at all. I talk to her often, all the time about silent killers, about high blood pressure, about falling over. Like I have to beg her to go to the doctor sometimes. And it it scares me. Mm. So this some of the misinformation that's out there, some of the disinformation, and some of the real hard, strong facts that are out there. I can understand why someone would be hesitant. But the truth is, We've made large strides in medicine when women weren't even considered decades you know, ago, were at least considered. 50% of the workforce right now are women, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not going to let it keep being like this. We're going to prioritize each other. And the, the goal is for us to continue to be a part of the healthcare system, continue to be a part of health in general so that we can take care of each other. The system is here, but it needs us. Mm-hmm. So don't fall. I am fearful that people will fall out of the system and stop trusting it and just stop going. But there's a lot that's positive and great and beautiful about the system that does work. And we need to make sure that we're using those things. Thank you for sharing that. And and on that point, I want to talk about like the journey to becoming your own advocate in the healthcare space, because I think that's become more of a buzzword in the past year as women have started to share more of their stories and their experiences. For someone who's listening who's a patient, a female patient, how should they begin that journey to advocate for their health? Mm -hmm. 
first thing is to know yourself and know more about your own family history, what types of things run in your family, the kind of things you need to be checking for. I want to caution our young folks that are teenagers, 20s, 30s. I know youth makes you feel invincible, but there are medical issues that come out in that time. And even if they don't come out in that time, the practices and choices that you make now are what's going to make your future. So taking charge of who you are and what your history is. And then treating going to the doctor just like you would treat any other thing where someone is here to serve you, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to eat a burger that wasn't made the way you wanted it made. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, tell me what that what does that mean for the doctor's yeah, office? Yeah. If you're not going to if if your hairstylist messes up your hair color, she's going to hear about it. Right. Your doctor is in service. There is an art and it's a practice to hear. And we're here to serve you as a team member to help you stay healthy and live the best life you can live. So the same way you would treat any other service oriented person, be respectful, you know, come in knowing what you need. And if you don't know what you need, we are there as a team to help you figure it out. If you're not sleeping well, doc, I'm not sleeping well. This is what I'm noticing when I fall asleep. This is what I eat. These are the things that I know make me feel more rested. Let's figure out why I'm not sleeping well and advocate for yourself at the same level you would anything else. It's April, which means a lot of us have upcoming spring or summer travel vacations planned. And now more than ever, women really deserve a break. And I know I'm really looking forward to taking some time off this summer. And I want to tell you about Saks Off Fifth. Saks Off Fifth has everything you need to get your wardrobe ready for your much anticipated out of office. We're talking handbags, dresses, matching sets, white denim, and so much more. Shop now at Saks Off Fifth online or in-store for up to 70% off. 70% off, that's crazy. From brands like Veronica Beard, ALC, Love Shack Fancy, Alice and Olivia, Farm Rio, and more. You can learn more at SaksOffFifth.com. That's SaksOffFifth.com for more info. Spelled S-A-K-S-O-F-F-5-T-H.com. So something I do to help prepare for my doctor's appointments is I just have a notes app on my iPhone where I just write down things that I feel are wrong with me. And I write down dates and I look for patterns. And that's something I actually did after I went to a meeting with my general physician or an appointment with my general physician like three years ago. And I just answered no to all of her questions. And she was like, really? Really? No? And I was like, wait, actually, yeah, I do think I had this issue or I have noticed this. How do you recommend that people prepare for these appointments? Yeah, have a focus. So, and understand what kind of appointment you have. So you come over for an annual physical. Annual physical is to figure out where you are, what your status is, what your labs are, get some baseline, pay, you, are, you know, know what your family history is and just kind of see what your status is. A problem visit is more focused on, this is a specific issue that I, I've noticed that I like to talk about. And when you have those specific issues, have it written. I love a patient with notes. Have notes. even And it doesn't have to be a lot of notes. It could be like three things you thought about. Like, I made this appointment for these three things. Make the appointment and then come in. And be honest about what you're making the appointment for too. Because doctors do pre-work. Mm -hmm. We look at our schedule. We see what the complaint is. We look in the chart and we start thinking about, okay, let me prep for this patient. But if you tell the front desk one thing and then you come in and you ask, I'm not prepared now. And so now you have 15, 20 minutes only to kind of figure out what you are there for. 
And so know what kind of appointments you're going to have. Be prepared for a focus within that appointment and be okay with the plan. Understand that you've been dealing with this issue for days or weeks or hours. This this doctor is hearing about it for the first time and then they're using what they know to kind of help you out. So be prepared for there to be a plan that you have to walk out and don't expect like a solution right away. Some things are quite small, right? Mm -hmm. I have a sore throat. I swab your throat. It's strep. I give you antibiotic. We're done, right? But things that have been happening for a long time, keep in mind that we're going to have to walk this thing out together. But, you know, own it. Have a focus when you go in. Know what kind of appointment you're going to have. And have your notes ready to talk it through and also ranking what things are most important that you want to get to that at that time. And you will be able to get what you need from your physician. What advice do you give to female patients around kind of knowing what their own baseline is? Because I think something we hear a lot as women is like, that's normal for for women. It's like your hormones or like that pain is normal. And how can we get to know when something is off? Because I think we're taught to dismiss our own pain a lot of the time. So that's normal. I mean, who's saying it's normal, right? If it does, if it's not normal for you, then explain why it's not normal for you. Like I've always slept, you know, seven hours a day and felt really refreshed. And now I sleep seven and it's not enough. Like, yeah, that may be normal for some of us, but it's not normal for me. And these are the things that I've noticed that are changing. Let's dig a little deeper. If it's persisting and it's bothering you, you keep bringing it up. Mm -hmm. And if they don't help you, ask them, may I see a specialist for this? Some insurances, you don't even have to have a referral from your primary care doctor. But others, you do have to have a referral and it's important because you should have a part. Let's start there. You should have a primary care doctor, a family physician. Of course, I'm going to be say family physicians are the best, (laughs) but there are internal medicine doctors that can also be your primary care physician because this is your home base that helps you coordinate everything else. It can even speak to your behalf when it's time to make a referral. A referral coming like straight from the insurance versus a referral coming from me with these notes that I've taken from your evaluation, you're going to be treated a lot differently at your specialist because you've seen a doctor already. Mm. So if it bothers you, even if you're told it was normal, keep pushing. Like, you know, this doesn't feel normal for me. I don't like it. There's somebody else I can talk to. And if that person isn't giving you an answer and they refuse to refer you, just like any other service, you can get you another doctor. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Like, you don't have to stay with that doctor. You can say, you know, I would like a second opinion. You don't have to wait till you have some huge, large chronic medical issue to say, I want a second opinion. You can always, always get a second opinion. That's great advice. And yeah, you can always send the hamburger back if you don't want it, is how I'm thinking about it. You sure can. (laughs) If you're in the appointment and you feel like, the person you're seeing is dismissing you. Like maybe they're not sitting down or they're just not listening when you're talking. Is there something you can say in the moment to help get the attention back on the issue you're talking about? Or is it just time to cut your losses and and move on and see someone else? First, acknowledge it. And like stop and acknowledge like, so I noticed that you're not sitting and I'm not feeling like I feel heard right now. And give them the opportunity to make an adjustment because physicians... Provided we're human too. Totally. You could be the 50th patient that day. They could have had an accident on the way to work, sick kid, whatever. So give them the opportunity. I want to pause for a second because I I'm I don't know that I'm feeling heard. And it may not be you, it might be me, but let's 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 check in. Like, are you hearing me? Are we on the same page? And if they give you some response that's kind of like negative and backlight, you like, okay, take a note. Thank you for that. And then you just see somebody else, or especially mm-hmm. if there's a trend. If it's just one bad day, that's one thing. But if it's a trend, then you should consider someone else. 
because some doctors just don't even, they're just trying to get through the day and they don't even realize like, man, I didn't even sit down, you know, Mm -hmm. and just you calling it out and you saying, you know, I I don't know that I'm feeling heard. So how do we mitigate that? Like, how do we change that? How do I get it so I feel heard? Do I need to repeat myself? Do I need to make another appointment before we can talk about this again? How do we fix that? Mm. What would you tell someone listening that they need to do after their appointment? Like, what is the checklist? The first checklist is to make sure you understand the plan before your doctor leaves. Do I understand this plan? And if that means, you know, I'm an educator, so the teach back method is what I like to do. It's like, what did you hear me say? What is our plan for the next steps? There's also a patient summary. If you're someone who prefer to read it, your doctor can type up a summary of everything and what the next plans and next steps are for you and hand you that summary before you leave. But before you leave, make sure you understand what next steps are and that you understand what the plan is for what you came in for. Even for a physical, okay, we get blood work, they're going to contact me with my results and then we'll go from there. And even if you don't realize it until you get to the front desk, you can always set a front desk, well, I'm not sure that I got my question answered from the doctor and I'm not sure what we're doing next. Can you let them know? The front desk will go get your doctor. So make first of all, just make sure you know what the plan is. Then after that, follow through with the plan. My last question for you is just around finding a doctor we can trust. Like, how can I, if I'm like in the market for a new XYZ doctor, let's say primary care, let's say OBGYN, how can I figure out if I'm going to feel heard and want that person as part of my medical team. Are there things you think we should ask doctors? Are there things we should be looking out for? Yeah, I say, and again, this isn't like anything else. When you're interviewing for a job, trying to buy a new car, dating, it's a question you ask, <laughs> right? Let's make sure this is a good match. And you can yeah. walk in the door and say that, like, I'm meeting you, I'm establishing care, I'm here to meet you for the first time, and I want to make sure this is a good match, doctor. Have you had someone who, you know, mid, middle age, black female from the South, for me, are you comfortable having a physician as your patient? You know, like, let's talk. And if you're not as forward and extroverted as me, it's, have you had a patient like me before? These are some of the concerns that I have. If it's not about you personally, like, these are some of the issues that run in my family. These are some of the concerns I have. What, you know, experience have you had managing these types of things or working through these types of problems and see how they answer your question. Mm -hmm. And the first time they may not, but the fact that you came in that first meeting and you, you address them that way, every other meeting is going to go either is going to get better or worse. It's like, Oh, this, that patient that does not play games. She's trying (laughs) to establish care and she's trying to make sure that I'm going, this is going to be a good match. So I'm going to work hard to match with her. Or I'm like, Oh, I don't know if this is going to work. And you'll know the energy. You know, it's mm-hmm. like anything else. Second or third appointment, you're like, mm, <laughs> it's not going to work. I'm going to have to switch to somebody else. Yeah. And then take referrals, like ask a good girlfriend or people in your community. Do you like this doctor? What have you heard? I'm looking for, a, you know, OBGYN. Do you have any, you know, references or anybody that, you know, does a good job? And a, a, another great sign is you call to make an appointment and they're not taking any patients. Keep that doctor on your short list because that means the patients they have love them. Mm. And as soon as they start taking new ones, you want to be on that roster, mm. you know, or a new, a fresh graduate is also a good one, too, because they're just really eager to, like, make their patient panel happy. So yeah. also be be open to the new doctor. I know some people are like, oh, I want someone who's been doing this a long time. They're new, but they went to college, medical school, residency, sometimes fellowship, years and years of training. And they've seen 
thousands of patients before they see you. It's just the first time that they're establishing care in their professional realm by themselves. But that doesn't mean that they're not trained appropriately. Any last advice you would have for someone listening who might be feeling kind of frustrated with how their healthcare journey has gone so far? Don't give up hope. There are good doctors and physicians and providers out there. Don't give up on the healthcare system because there are those of us in it that are working really, really hard to change it. There are physicians that look like you, feel like you, and care about your life, even if they don't look like you. And so it's just a matter of like staying the course and not giving up. If there's something you don't like, speak up about it and make sure that your doctor is a good fit for you because we do care. Amazing. Well, Latasha, thank you so much. You're welcome. This was a pleasure. After speaking with Latasha, we also wanted to acknowledge that advocating for our health doesn't just apply to our physical health. It's also super important when it comes to our mental health. And one area where we can advocate for our mental health is in therapy. We've all heard about virtual therapy, text therapy, talk therapy, CBT therapy, and more. And beginning or resetting your therapy journey can be overwhelming. So we want to end with some tips on how to find the right mental health support for you. An important first step before you find a therapist is to identify what you're looking for. For example, if you're experiencing symptoms of depression or anxiety, you should consider seeing a clinical psychologist, counselor, or social worker who specializes in that area. If you're suffering from bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, or a major depressive disorder, it's best to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist who has experience with that disorder and can prescribe medicine. And remember, not everyone who benefits from therapy is necessarily diagnosed with a mental illness. Once you've identified what you're looking for, next, you can start compiling recommendations. Some good people to ask include friends, friends of friends, your primary care doctor, or OBGYN. They can help point you in the right direction. You can also use websites like ZocDoc to filter for professionals who take your insurance. And you can see their ratings and reviews. There are also other online marketplaces to connect you with mental health resources like Frame or BetterHelp. An important note here is that some mental health professionals choose not to accept insurance. If that's the case, check to see if your plan accepts out-of-network providers. If it does, you'll have to complete a claim form and submit it along with the invoice for your treatment to get reimbursed. Once you've got a list of professionals, you'll want to reach out to and interview multiple. It's kind of like dating in that sense. And doing the legwork up front pays off because according to studies, the compatibility between you and your therapist can actually determine how successful the treatment is. As for how you can get to know their vibe, you can ask them, what type of therapy do you practice? What can I expect to get out of our sessions together? How often do you recommend that we meet? How hard is it to get on your schedule? Can we communicate between sessions? What's your professional background? Have you treated patients my age or in my life stage before? Who do you like working with? And how will you measure success? How do I know if what we're doing is working? Then take stock of how you felt after the conversation. Did you feel like they listened to you? Did you enjoy speaking with them? Are you excited to work with them? And remember to trust your gut, because if something seemed off, it probably was. And remember, ultimately, mental health treatment works best when you feel a sense of safety and trust. 
In our show notes, we'll also leave a link to our guide on the different types of therapy. Skim This, The State of Women will be back in your feed for a final time next Thursday, where we'll be talking all about the state of women and their careers. Thanks for listening and catch you next week. This episode was skimmed by me, Alex Carr, along with Andrew Calloway and Ellie McAfee-Hahn. 